Welcome to the Exponential Minds Podcast. The research, development, launch, and growth of new technologies is creating incredible momentum in the modern world. Join futurist Nicholas Badminton as he talks with the innovators and the exponential minds that are tackling some of the biggest problems and creating solutions that are propelling humanity to the next level. Welcome to the Exponential Minds podcast. My name is Nicholas Badminton and I'm a professional futurist that travels the world speaking to the brightest minds that are trying to make our lives more incredible through exponential technologies. I also collaborate with and present at conferences for some of the world's largest businesses, professional organizations and academic institutions. I'm very, very uh, happy to, to be speaking today with uh, Thomas Frey, world-renowned futurist and, uh, and, and big thinker about the future. Hi, Thomas. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. No, no, it's great to have you here. Um, what I'd love, uh, Thomas, is for you to just give us a little bit about your background, how you sort of came to, to get into the position you're in today, um, being able to influence and drive people's thinking about the future. Well, uh, as, as you understand, it's never a straight line when you, you start out thinking you're going to go in life and where you end up. Um, <laughs> I, I spent 15 years at IBM. Uh, one of my claims to fame at IBM is I received more awards than any other engineer, which just means I was really good at abusing all the systems that they had there. <laughs> um, but I, I found that I was always um, uh, kind of mentally pre-programmed to think about the future. So people would wake up in the morning thinking about how, how they're going to get to work today. I was thinking about how people are going to get to work 10 years from now. And... Um, and uh, wake up thinking what they're going to wear to work today. I'm wondering what people are going to wear to work 10 years from now. And so having this, um, uh, I don't know, I, my mindset's always kind of adjusted into the future. So it seemed like um, I had kind of the right, um, the right proclivities, the right skills for making that work. And then uh, in 1997, I started the Da Vinci Institute. And uh, that was based on the idea of creating a futurist think tank. And so that the business model for it has changed a few times along the way, but that's uh, kind of the nature of business right now. Right. So, so really, it, it's interesting. That's that's a long time ago. That's like twenty years ago. And you know, the idea around futurists and futurism and, and thinking like that far out it was quite new at that time. I mean, how did you like? What were some of the first things you did when you set up Da Vinci? Um, we set up the Da Vinci Institute. I I, I actually. Um, put together put together this um, uh, full day seminar called Inventions of Impact, um, talking about how technology affected us in the past, how it's going to affect us in the uh, how it's affecting us today, and how it's going to affect us in the future. And um, I took that on a on a road show around the United States, and I I, I learned how to um, do this one man road show. Uh, and work work in seedy hotels with uh, with interesting crowds. So 
it was uh, a fun uh, a fun gig while it lasted. <laughs> have you have you noticed over the past um, like twenty years or so? I, I mean, I started working in in software in Silicon Valley and then through into management consultancy, so a slightly different route to you. Um, but like, I started that twenty years ago, right? So it's kind of interesting just noticing you know the initial optimism around the internet and connection and the you know just the the incredible um, growth of of possibility in the world. What, what have you noticed to be the biggest changes over the past sort of 20 years from like when you began all the way through to today? Um, yeah, I wrote a piece uh, recently on this, this idea of um, uh, what, what are the, what are going to be common things that we have 10 years from now that we don't have today. And uh, to put it in perspective, I had to start off by, by talking about what is it that, um, that we find common today that didn't exist 10 years ago. It's it's actually uh, quite an interesting list uh, when you start going through the list because the 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 iPhone was just invented in 2007, so that was right at 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, so before then, we didn't have any of the mobile apps, um, and so uh, 10 years ago, we didn't have things like Airbnb, Tinder, Fitbit, Spotify, Dropbox. Uh, Quora, Kickstarter, Hulu, uh, BuzzFeed—any of those things. Um, uh, you know, Twitter and Facebook—they were just getting started. Um, YouTube, uh, yeah, life was so much different ten years ago, and we quickly forget where we've come from. And that's just in the last ten years. If you go back twenty years ago. Um, you know, just this idea of how we got information and how we're, how we deal with it. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it, we're, we're on this amazing journey and I, I just find it fascinating. If I don't do at least two hours of research every day, I get way behind. That, that, that's right. I mean, I, I read about 60 articles a day and watch countless videos. You know, that there's a point where you do futurism as, as a hobby and then you have to quit your job because it actually has become your job as well. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's interesting when you think about that technology. Um, I went to Hong Kong earlier this year and uh, uh, last year, sorry. And, uh, I, and the last time I'd been there was 10 years prior. And like, there were no like smartphones and it was a very different experience as a tourist. This year, I was like, I was, I was literally wrestling my way through crowds full of people with selfie sticks. And, and like even, uh, even these changes to culture have been sort of seismic in just the, the way that humans, humans operate as well. So, I mean, talking about, you know, how we're changing as a society, what technology does to that as well, and, and sort of the craft of futurism. I mean, you know, what, what does that look like today in terms of helping the world work out where, where we're going? I mean, what's the craft that you follow? Um, so I look at my role as helping expand people's understanding of what the future holds. Um, I, um, I mean, in the futurist world, there's lots of debate about making predictions. And, uh, and I, I do use that as an interesting tool. I, I use predictions as a way to draw your attention to uh, something that's going to possibly happen. And I want you to draw your own conclusion from it. Um, so in, invariably, a uh, percentage of my predictions are going to be wrong. Um, uh, and uh, even if I predict something with all the accuracy in the world, it just is, I, I get it spot on. 
by the time we get there, it somehow feels different. Uh, the context has changed and all that. Um, so the important part, though, is for you to have your mind wrapped around it as, as listening to this, because it helps in how you make decisions. And the decisions you make are, can be critical in uh, you know, how you prepare yourself for your next career. Um, I, I always like to ask the question, is, is your future self going to be disappointed in the decisions you're making today? Um, I think that's an interesting question. <laughs> so, so, I mean, uh, I mean who, who do you ask these questions to? I mean, do you go right to the top of the tree in large organizations and sit down with the CEO? And, you know, the CEO, <laughs> public companies, they, they care about shareholder value. Even private companies, they care about, you know, all, all the mechanisms to, to make it an incredibly, you know, cash positive, um, profitable company as well. Whereas like, it's, it's difficult for these people to, to even look out like six months, 18 months into the future with, with a degree of certainty without looking at what needs to happen today. How do you make these people, you know, ask these big questions and sort of t start taking decisions that, that's going to impact what the business looks like in five, 10 years? Well, usually I, I give people an overview of, um, of what I see coming around the corner. Um, I, I focus a lot on, well, it's all on emerging technology, but I look at what I call the disruptive eight. And there's uh, eight technologies that I think are kind of at the core of most of the disruptions. There's, there's others hovering around the outside that'll uh, be equally disruptive, uh, I'm sure. But, um, and then we look at these and then that tends to open up uh, a lot of questions in their mind. And, uh, and so then we go off into lots of different discussions. So, uh, yeah, we work with, um, I work with all kinds of executive teams and CEOs and um, investor groups, um, insurance companies, uh, lo lots of uh, different cross sections of the world. Um, it, it, so it, it, it certainly keeps life interesting for me. So, so um, yeah, I, I love the idea of the disruptive eight. Can, can you just uh, go through what those eight are and why they're sort of in, in the core of that thinking for you, please? Um, yeah, the, let me see if I get them all off the top of my head here. Uh, it's uh, sensor networks, um, uh, the Internet of Things, uh, driverless technologies, um, 3D printing, uh, contour crafting, virtual reality, um, uh, flying, flying drones, but it's more of just a drone category, not just flying drones, sure. um, and uh, artificial intelligence. And I think I missed one somewhere along the way, but uh, uh, I'll give you an idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Most of these are pretty common uh, discussion topics. We're hearing about them all the time. Um, and in, in, I've com, come to the conclusion that driverless technologies will be the most disruptive technology in all history. Um, I've concluded that it's going to disrupt more people in a shorter period of time than anything else. Um, so it's, it's more disruptive than the invention of the wheel, the invention of fire, uh, the invention of electricity, because it's more people in a shorter period of time. Yeah, it's like electric. Um, you know, I talk a lot, a lot about electricity in the early 1900s. It kicks in, it changed the entire world. I think Andrew Ng over at um, Baidu says that 
artificial intelligence is the new electricity and really driverless uh, technology is just an application of, of that artificial intelligence right and sensors and the internet of things and you know a number of these other things in fact you could actually treat you know a driverless vehicle in the future as a drone I, I, I'm guessing right but well, well exactly and and so all of these disruptive eight um, they feed on each other and so they're um, so, I mean, when you start thinking about driverless technologies, uh, is it okay to uh, have your dog delivered in a driverless car to a doggy daycare center? Um, uh, how, how young can a child travel in a driverless car by themselves? Um, uh, if, if you have a car that recognizes a parent on one end and a teacher on the other end, how young can that child be, a six-year-old kid? Um, and then how long can they stay in there by themselves? I mean, we haven't had any of these discussions about uh, things like this. And, uh, and, and so uh, I, I find it absolutely fascinating, all the, the different ways it's going to enter our society, seep in and, and just kind of create chaos in our thinking for a while. Yeah. I, I had an interesting conversation with a journalist two weeks ago. And uh, I was talking about artificial intelligence, driverless technology, and how truck drivers were one of the, the, the professions that's going to disappear fairly quickly, you know, within like five, five or six years. And, and they're right. like, what, what will the truck drivers do? <laughs> and it's like, well, like, people don't just stop, you know. When the spinning jenny came into the factories during the Industrial Revolution, people didn't stop working. They just did different work, right? And there's this right. thought that in the world, people... People are just at a standstill in their careers, whereas we're going to be endlessly shape-shifting and having different careers, you know, every few years, just so that we can live live in this new dynamic world. Right. Um, so, so the job of the future will be that of a hustler. Um, you're going to be having to hustle to find your next gig. Um, so, we, we have to retrain people. We have to retrain a lot of people, and uh, and that gets into the whole future of education thing, but. Um, when somebody wants to shift careers and they're going to be doing it a lot throughout their lives, um, they, they want to retrain in the least amount of time, not the most. And so um, traditional colleges are a very poor fit for that type of retraining. Uh, so we've, uh, we've been exploring this idea of creating what we call micro colleges, um, something where you can go in there and learn a new skill and in, uh, I don't know, maybe two weeks to two months to uh, four months, something like that. Um, and so you learn a new skill and you're off and running in a new direction. I think that's uh, going to be very commonplace in the future. Um, and and we see, we're seeing pieces of it right now, but I, I see these micro colleges going off literally a thousand different directions, teaching people how to design parts for 3D printers or how to become a crowdfunding expert or uh, how to do aquaponics farming or uh, even how to be a brewmaster in a brew pub. Lots of different options. Yeah. It, it's interesting. I mean, back in the day, it was like, do the apprenticeship, do your time. And, and, and kids don't care about that these days. It's like, it's fake it till you make it. And I think that that's always been there, but it's been there as sort of a, a hidden, a hidden way and a hidden strategy for, for people to, to get ahead in careers. Right. And oftentimes people would quit a job, take another job to, to like either level up in their career to go from like manager to director or, or whatever, or they would just, you know, just sit there in their job collecting their salary for the next sort of 15 in 20 years. But 
we're, we're moving towards this world of, of independence, of, of work. But I want to go into the education piece. I mean, you actually said that, you know, you're predicting that by 2030, the largest company on the internet is going to be an education-based company that we haven't heard of yet. I'd like to talk a little bit about that because with all the disruption is the changing job, job climate and with that is, is this training. But what, what brought you to that, that prediction of 2030? Because today it's not the case. There's no company that's larger than other internet companies that focus purely on education. If you look at you know, Alphabet, which, has got, um, which is the parent company of Google, Facebook, or whatever, they're very much about connection and communication. So how are we going to change from that communication model to an education model? Um, yeah, some great questions there. Um, first of all, we have a disconnect going on in the uh, education world in that um, we, we like our education companies to be nonprofit. And so we're not going to invest a lot of money in a nonprofit to, uh, uh, to scale up and take over the world. So the, um, uh, the way I'm looking at it is, is it needs to be a really highly scalable uh, company, but virtually everybody is going to have to be retrained in the future. Um, and I think we're going to be taking courses on a regular basis. I think this is a, a just a huge opportunity. You, you have an extra 10 minutes here or 15 minutes there. You'll take, you take a, 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 these short mini courses and you, you know, kind of work your way up like building blocks to, um, to, to get your skills up to speed. But uh, let, let me just explain this a little bit, kind of, kind of my thinking, because I was um, reading about Google's DeepMind, and DeepMind, they, um, they gave it this task of playing uh, the Atari 2600 game of Breakout, which is a sophisticated version of Pong. And they give it very little instruction other than to uh, to just try to try to get the high score in the game. Yeah. So after after 30 minutes, it was still pretty crappy um, playing that game, uh, but it was learning as it went. So after two hours, it learned how to um, how to play the game at a really high rate of speed. And then after four hours, it did something really unusual. It figured out how to achieve the maximum score by shooting some balls around the side in a, in a superhuman fashion that even the designers of the game didn't know they could do. Um, and so then they applied this to uh, DeepMind to 49 other Atari 2600 games and it learned how to play 3D, um, 3D driving and chess and um, martial arts games. And it learned how to master every one of them. So if we, uh, my big aha moment was that if we apply artificial intelligence and like a deep mind to a teacher bot that's teaching us, um, then the new game is to try to figure out how to teach us faster and faster and faster. Um, over time, these teacher bots that will learn all of our, our idiosyncrasies, our proclivities, our the personal reference points, the things that we care about, uh, and in over time, it'll get very good at understanding what, our, what, what skills we're deficient in. It'll know when we've mastered something new and what it takes to get, get us up to speed. So it knows when things are working and when they're not working. And, um, and over time, it will figure out a way of teaching us maybe four times faster, six times faster, maybe even 10 times faster. Um, the idea of, of completing an entire four-year college degree in two months 
that's it seems like it's right around the corner. Yeah, and it's it's learning on the job as well. <laughs> Which yeah, you know, I, I've always I, I did a degree. I did applied psychology, computing. I, I covered a lot of ground, including AI and linguistics, social network theory. But you know, you you can actually like know the basics very very quickly. Have a reference point. You know, the, the idea of sitting down and filling out pages and pages of of um, answers to questions. It, it, it seems so backward that, you know, we have to store everything in our minds where we can have reference points and we've got the internet in our pockets these days, right? Right. I, 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 uh, I speak a little bit about education as well. And, and one of the things when I was doing my research was how artificial in, intelligence was kind of indistinguishable from, from teachers in certain contests, like, uh, you know, coaching, answering questions and that kind of thing. But, yeah, so the, the teachers that we have today... Um, will take on a, a different kind of role, that more of coaching, uh, for when things don't don't go right. But for the most part, we can um, uh, the the students will be learning at a far faster rate, and they they're learning uh, uh, the topics they're interested in at the time they're interested in. So we have very hyper individualized learning. This idea of putting all the same kids in a classroom and uh, expecting them all to learn the same way, it just goes out the window. Um, uh, we, we still need to teach social skills. So there are no one-size-fits-all perfect formulas for educating people, but, um, but this, this, uh, this type of AI-infused um, uh, teacher bot, I think, is... Uh, uh, and and when, I, when I talk about this, I just describe it in ways that I think we can understand, but I I'm, end up sweeping a lot of the details under the rug um, because we don't know these things just yet. So we're, we're trying to figure it out as we go. Yeah, and it's, uh, I, I actually think maybe, you know, this artificial intelligence, it's almost like kids are going to be born in five years' time and their parents are, are going to be said, oh, congratulations, Mr. Badminton. It's a boy. And by the way, his, his, this little black box will be the artificial intelligent companion for your child all the way through their life. And that companion ends up being their coach and the, the integrated sort of interface for teaching, jobs going forward and everything like that. I mean, do, do, do you think we're, we're ending up sort of, are we removing too much human from the experience with, you know, teacher bots and only having humans around the edge of this education and coaching? Or do you think that this is, this is going to be uh, for the good of, of society as a whole? Um, yeah, there's, there's some interesting questions there as to, um, because our, uh, we're, we're all fallible humans and, um, and we're fallible humans, um, and we we end up needing each other. Um, we need each other because we're all flawed. Um, and if we get to the point where we can do everything without anybody else, uh, the fact that we need each other, that's what creates our economy. Um, that creates forces us to socially integrate together. If uh, suddenly we don't um, we don't need each other like that, then then we, we tend to be much more isolated. Um, and so we, we're, we're seeing around the edges uh, a lot of problems with isolation, uh, loneliness issues, if you will. So we, we have um, the potential downside, these unintended consequences of things that we never, never imagined before. Um, I mean, it's, it's like we're driverless cars. I mean, right now we're being forced onto an airplane 
to be around other people, uh, like cattle car loading and everything. We all tend to hate that. But uh, uh, if we could just jump into a car, that's some sleeper pod that takes us across the country, um, when we end up in Chicago or Miami or wherever, uh, after we slept a good night's sleep and were able to be productive listening to music and watching videos the whole time, um, that tends to isolate us again. And so is that a bad thing uh, or is that a good thing? I think we all tend to want that, but there's a downside to all these things as well. It, it's almost like, um, you know, one of the new job categories in the future is, is going to be around human connection. Because <laughs> if you look at the six, you know, the, the, the six, um, you know, need, needs of humans, you know, certainty, variety, significance, growth and contribution. I think probably the, one, the most important one and probably the glue for humanity is the need for connection and love. And um, living in these pods or this solipsistic sort of existence, the bubble, as it were, it isn't necessarily going to be a great thing. But actually building companies that have actually got active connections with each other could, could be a really interesting future as well. Yeah, I think there's great. Well, see, each of these things creates problems and the problems uh, create opportunities. Uh, so that's where a lot of the future jobs are going to come from um, when people spot these opportunities and we're going to create a new business around that. Um, and, and right now we have limited vision of what those are going to be. Um, and uh, my, my guess is, uh, you know, 10 years from now, like 60% of the businesses aren't even um, formulated in anybody's mind just yet. Uh, we're changing very quickly. And that makes for such a, I, I think, a dynamic and fascinating world ahead. But it just scares the hell out of most people. I mean, what, what's the advice to, to people in society? Because, you know, I talk about AI and disruption and they say up here in Canada, 42% of jobs are at risk from automation and, and people are like, what are people going to do in the future? And I struggle answering that question. I mean, I mean, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, do you think that there's going to be these entire new categories of, of jobs? Uh, do you think that we're going to have to expect less salaries, universal basic income to prop us up that, that kind of thing? Cause it seems like we're careering towards a very strange world. Yeah, we're, we're moving in a, in a very, um, uh, a foggy future here that, uh, uh, so I, yeah, I also struggle with that, that question about what, what should I be studying today to prepare myself for the future? Um, uh, I, personally, I, I like the idea of, of learning programming, um, and the, the programming skills we have today may indeed go away in the next 20 years. Uh, sometime in the way in the future we may figure out how to automate a lot of the programming stuff that gets done um, but that it brings us up to another platform so the programmers then are in a perfect position to move up to some new technology uh, doing something else and so we need humans in the background um, there's a it, it's, it's kind of a, a misnomer because we always think that we can get by without people um, but uh, you know, it's it's our uh, our robots, uh, machines taking all of our jobs. Well, since we still need people to run the economy, it's actually um, a large number of people. Employees are being replaced by a smaller number of people with machines. Um, so, so then the the idea is that it improves our capabilities. So, um, it's just like every time in the past when we've had a technology that comes along. 
it improves our capabilities so we can get more done. So we just have to set our sights higher. We, the things that we can accomplish in a lifetime might be, be 10 times as much or 20 times as much as we can do today. Uh, so if we set our sights much higher, we're going to need more help to accomplish those big things. Right. And yeah, and, and that's, that's leading us into, into this sort of um, uncertain future. And I guess that's why people like you, you and I travel around and, and speak um, with, with many different people uh, around the world around what that future means. I, before we sort of sign off and, uh, and thank you for these insights today, it's, it's fantastic. You know, are there any things that are on your sort of uh, radar in the next sort of year, in the next sort of six months to a year, you know, conferences you're going to be at or, or, or events that you're running as the Da Vinci Institute that we should be aware of? Um, well, Michael Cushman and I are, are producing uh, a week-long um, workshop on Inside the Mind of a Futurist. Uh, it'll be a 40-hour, uh, one-week session uh, teaching the, the techniques for, for how to dive in and understand the future. Um, I think it's, it's going to be just an absolute fascinating event. We've spent a long time uh, putting this together, and we'll have uh, it's designed for just a small group. so. We'd love to have some people take a look at it. If they go to davinciinstitute.com, they can find um, that week-long course under Da Vinci Tech Academy. Um, I'll be speaking um, li literally all over the world. Um, last year, I was in 11 different countries. Um, this year, it'll be uh, at least that many, maybe more. Uh, so lots of, uh, lots of fun opportunities. And uh, my, I, I lead my life as kind of an adventure um, because, uh, because life is really an adventure. And so each day reveals something different. That's great. Well, Thomas, good luck with, uh, with what's coming up um, with, with the 40-hour workshop you're putting together. I think more people need to learn about um, thinking about scanning, predicting, forecasting, and trying to work out where we're going before it actually happens in front of us. And as you said, when we get there, it's sometimes uh, all, com all completely different anyway. So, Thomas, I'd like to say thank you for your time today, and I'll speak to you again very soon. All right. Well, thank you very much, and uh, great talking to you, Nick. Thanks.